Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. We are in Jude, Jude verses 12 and 13. It's a section of three verses, Jude 11, 12, and 13. Uh, it starts off in 11, giving you three examples of the Old Testament, which we've talked about, Cain and Balaam and then Korah. But then it goes on and now starts talking in verses 12 through 13. After saying, Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir, and they have, destroy have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. These are men... These men are blemishes. Now, it's talking about the false teachers or the heretics within the church of Jude. As we looked at it, this was probably around 55 AD. It could say 55 up to 64, 65 AD this letter was written. If it's 55 AD, it matches exactly what Paul is writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians in 55 AD about their, their celebrating the Lord's Supper and coming together as a church, as a gathering, and, and things turning into a party out of control. Uh, Peter duplicates this. Uh, around 64, 65 A.D. So if Peter wrote first and Jude, you know, used Peter's information, then this would push it up around 67, 68 A.D. So it depends. Either way, between 55 and 65 A.D., we've got three references to this very problem of people coming into the church and then misleading the group, misleading the people. And the people not picking up on it and letting them actually get into a place of leadership, not just coming in and, and out in the parking lot, you know, handing out cigarettes or something, but they're actually leading the, the church. They become leaders in the church, and Judas calling them on it. Peter does, as does, that's what 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is about, is Paul reprimanding the church you've, you've got false apostles in your midst and you're impressed with them because they're great speakers they're great presenters they've got powerpoint presentations or whatever and it's like oh it's like no the, these men are not teaching you and leading you the right way they're there for selfish reasons so this was a big deal again early in the first century 30 a.d 45 50 a.d uh jesus and the apostles warned false teachers were coming here in the midst, you know, 55 to 70 A.D., you see the false teachers competing and them warning, watch out for them. By the time you get after the revolt of Jerusalem and you get into John's letters, 85, 90 A.D., you see the false teachers have actually taken over the church. The church, the people no longer, John's not welcomed in the churches. John and his teachers, they've, they've gone off, they, they've called John and his teachers heretics. They, they've rejected them. So they warned they were coming. They had the battle with them. And then they lost the battle in the first century. So again, the church has always been under attack. And this is, again, the church is under attack. And Jude is identifying them as being like Cain, like Balaam, like Korah. And then he defines them here in the NIV. These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. And then he's going to use four examples here. Clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. So he gives four, we'll talk about those four descriptors uh, here today. Very colorful. They, they, they start with uh, the, the, the sky. Uh, they go to the sea. They talk about trees on land. And then they talk about outer space. So they're colorful illustrations. They're not just words, but they've got descriptions around them. And each identify a character of the false teacher or the heretics that have come in. Uh, but the first thing we see uh, in here, going back a little bit last week, is the word, they are shepherds who feed only themselves. Now this is interesting because the word feed 
is, is going to be something Jesus tells Peter in, in John 21. You know, he asks him three times, do you love me? And, and Peter says, yes. And then Jesus is going to say, feed my sheep. Uh, we're going to try to look at a few things here, but also the ideal of a shepherd. In Ezekiel, go to 34. Ezekiel 34, very quickly, uh, we can see an example of, of shepherds. And the shepherds would be... Uh, uh, the leaders, the, the religious leaders, if you would, or they could be the political leaders. They're the ones that are supposed to be guarding, protecting, directing, overseeing, ruling. Uh, not, not, they could become elite, of course, the elite class, but the idea is not that they're like royalty and you are all their, their pawns. The ideal is they are the government, the leaders, assisting the people and keeping them in in a group moses was a great example moses was it says the most humble man because he was a great leader had power but he was always leading and serving the people they weren't serving him so there's that tension between they're in charge they're the leaders they're taking you somewhere but they're serving the people it can very easily get twisted where all of a sudden the people become the pawns that are serving the elite who now have all the power it's human nature. You have all the power. Unless you care about the people, you're going to all of a sudden use them as a commodity, as a market base or something. And of course, that's, gonna, that's because people are in the church. That's going to be something they've got to be careful of is the leadership of the church has to be careful that they don't become you know, eating the sheep instead of feeding the sheep. Well, anyway, Ezekiel, uh, in, in verse 34, uh, chapter 34, uh, I'm going to read down. It looks like I, I want to read about 19 verses. Just so you can see this, this is uh, as they're going into Babylon captivity. They are in the fourth generation, the cycle of the fourth generation in Jerusalem. They're under judgment. Uh, Daniel's been taken captive in 605. Ezekiel's taken captive in 597. And they're heading towards the 586 captivity, the third and final captivity, which results in the destruction of Jerusalem. And now Ezekiel is in Babylon after the second captivity, and he's writing back about Jerusalem, about the false shepherds. Chapter 34, uh, verse 1. Then the word, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And again, Lord is all capital, so it's, you know, uh, Yahweh Almighty. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who take care of, who only take care of themselves. Now again, this is, says in, in, in Jude 12, they are shepherds who only shepherd themselves. They're only feeding themselves. They're the leaders, but they're only interested in guarding, protecting themselves. Shepherds would keep away the wolves. They'd keep away the false teachers. These people are only concerned about keeping away anything that's going to harm them and their leadership abilities. So any kind of rise up of anybody in the group that looks like they're a challenge, they would have to protect, not the flock. They'd have to protect their position. So these are all things uh, that Jude is going to be referring to. They're shepherds who only feed themselves. Obviously, they're not just feeding themselves the Word of God. You know, they're only just teaching themselves the Word of God. I mean, that would be like, you know, what's the point? That's not the idea. Is there, sh there's two different words, shepherd and then feed. And we'll, we'll talk about those. The shepherd is going to be a, a, a position of leadership. One of the responsibilities is to feed the sheep. So the shepherd who's only shepherding themselves, they're going to be obviously feeding themselves something, you know, whatever they need, but also protecting their position and, and using the sheep. Nonetheless, here's Ezekiel saying the same thing, say right around 590 A.D. Uh, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not the shepherds take care of the flock? 
You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. Meaning this is kind of a definition of what they should be doing by describing what they're not doing. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so they, they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they, were, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than my flock, therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves i will rescue my flock from their mouths and i will no longer be, and they will no longer be food for them and then it goes on he can continue down through verse 19 but you get the idea that is probably what jude has in mind when he talks about these people being shepherds who feed only themselves now we're going to go from there uh you can see on the bottom of page five i've got in that's the uh, uh chapter 34 verse 10 I've got in the two boxes, I've got the word shepherd, haroim in the Hebrew. Uh, I got it in the box twice. And then underlined is the word yaru, which is feed or shell feed, meraot. Uh, shell feed or feed. So again, there's the shepherds are feeding. Now you turn the page, uh, page six. I forgot to go front and back on the notes. That's why you've got like a booklet instead of a sheet of notes. Uh, that's the, again, you don't care about this, but this is it. This is the Septuagint, the Greek translation around 200 B.C. of that Hebrew scripture. Those are the Hebrew words. Now, this is for the Hebrews or the Jews, but translated into Greek because by that time they started speaking Greek, especially in Egypt, so the Jews would read Greek. They were starting to forget Hebrew. So this was the Septuagint, the Greeks, plus the Greeks wanted their own copy of it. Uh, and you can see right there, the two boxed words are the word poimenos or uh, poimenin, okay? But it's this word right here, poimen, which is the word Jesus uses in John. He says, uh, tells Peter to feed my sheep or shepherd the sheep. Or excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. This is the word that's going to be used, and that is... Uh, the word right there that's underlined coming from this word which means feed this is the word used in the new testament of shepherd my sheep or, or you know be a shepherd you got the pastors translated pastors in the uh, new testament now the next thing you've got right there is point a john 21 15 16 and 17 this is where jesus says, feed my lambs he tells tells peter and i've got the first one 21 15 he said to him feed my lambs and that word is uh, poimen, uh, and, oh, excuse me, excuse me, feed is baske right there, so it means baske, which means to feed or graze or pasture, and it figuratively speaking of, like, the commentaries, the word studies, is figuratively speaking of feeding the people the word of God, giving them the word of God, that, that's probably, it's, it's, it's feed my sheep, I mean, are we going to 
where's the grass? Get more fish? What am I supposed to do? It, it's, it's clearly, most people would say, that he's supposed to take the truth and give it to the people who are following God, following Jesus. He's continue to teach him the word of God, sound doctrine. He says it once in verse 15. And just for interest, the word lambs is the word arnia, which means lamb. It originally meant little lamb because he's going to use a different word here next. Chapter 21, verse 16, the word now is tend my sheep. Now, this is different than the word uh, bosco. Tend is poimeno, which means to act like a shepherd. It's where we get this word. So we got uh, this, this first one is bosca, which means feed. The second time he says shepherd. Now, what we're going to do here very quickly is uh, uh, there is a difference between a pastor in the church or the word poimen. They're, in a sense, they're the overseers, the rulers. They're seeing over the whole flock. And then one of the responsibilities of feeding the sheep. A shepherd does more than just feed the sheep. Well, I fed the sheep. Well, look, the wolves are devouring them. It's like, well, the shepherd will feed them, but they also have to protect them. They have to govern them. They have to have some kind of direction, some kind of organization. This is one of the responsibilities of the shepherd. Okay, now, it, 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 this person right here would not be a pastor, but this shepherd definitely has to be doing something that involves feeding. You can't just protect, I'm protecting him from the wolves. Uh, I've got them organized. Yeah, but they don't, they're starving. They have no food. So, the shepherd has to somehow provide them the food, the teaching. Now, that, that can be the shepherd doing it, or he can, you know, find, you know, in an organization, find someone that's going to be doing that responsibility. But because these are two different positions, we'll try to get to that. Chapter 21, verse 16, tend my sheep. Uh, that is, again, this word, build on poimen, and the word sheep changes, which is probaton, which means, again, a little sheep, and includes any animal that grazes. Nothing really big is being said here, I mean, as far as a difference. I've just shown you the different words here. One's poimen, one's bosco, and the words for sheep are different. One's a little sheep, one's more of a, it would include any animal that grazes, but most likely is talking about a sheep, basically saying the same thing. And then 21.17, Jesus said to him, feed my sheep, which again is this word again, the, the actual feeding, and sheep is uh, the same one as the, the verse before, means just a grazing animal. So that's this idea of feed. The reason we're looking at this is Jude 12. They are false teachers, heretics. They are shepherds, leaders, guardians, organizers who are only interested in feeding or shepherding themselves. These words are coming together. Uh, we could go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and just because I'm going to, I want you to flip over there, 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is now talking about, uh, e eventually we're going to look in uh, Ephesians 4. Uh, we're eventually going to see uh, in, there's, there's a whole list of gifts and, and responsibilities in the church, and everyone has a gift. Everyone has a part. You are the body of Christ. Each of you has a part of the body of Christ. Uh, in Ephesians 4, it's going to list the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, the apostle, the prophet, and those are going to be four. But notice right here, there's a teacher, which would be the feed, and then there's going to be a pastor, which is exactly the word poimen in Ezekiel, excuse me, uh, uh, Ephesians 4. So those are the five, but a lot of times they call them the five, you know, leadership gifts compared to then all the others are underneath there. Uh, 
But there is a difference between a pastor and a teacher, although a pastor is going to have responsibility for this, maybe a, uh, or evangelism, looking for the lost, whatever. It's, it's going to be the leadership. And again, we can talk about apostle, prophet. You can say those passed away, whatever. Uh, just be careful before you start crossing things off the list. Now, amongst this group, in, 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 in 1 Timothy chapter 2, there's going to be these two definite leader positions, the deacon and the, uh, the overseer. Chapter, chapter 3, this is, again, this is where you're going to get bishops and, and uh, uh, deacons, different words, or the Greek, Greek word you can draw it out. But here it is. I want you to notice right here, there's two descriptions, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1 through 7, is going to be talking about, um, oh, excuse me, verse, uh, where does it start at now? Oh, yeah. Verse 2, uh, an overseer. Uh, and then in verse 8 would be a deacon. So here it begins, chapter 3, verse 1. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, that would be episkopos is the Greek word. We get the word episcopalian. That means their churches that are episcopalian are governed with overseers. Instead of a, a pope, they've got a group of episkopos or overseers. And you can call them whatever you want to, you know, in whatever your language matches. Here's the definition. Whoever sets his heart on being a, an overseer, that's the NIV, he desires a noble task. Now, an overseer must be above reproach. Now, this is describing, in Jude, we're talking about what's wrong with them. Here's talking about, you've got now shepherds, and this could be, you know, the shepherds could be a deacon or an overseer. They've got some kind of governing position in the church. This describes them accurately. Now, the overseer himself must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how, here's, here's Paul's point, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of the, God's church? Now, again, that kind of gives you an idea of, this guy is taking care of God's church like he takes care of a family. And if you're failing at home, it's like, well, but I want to lead the church. It's like, Paul's just saying, well, how, how would that make sense? But again, not here to be judgmental. I'm just reading the text. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil, which appears to be pride or arrogance. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. I Meaning he's got to be able to communicate with the community, the society, because we're, out, we're, we're doing some kind of outreach. And you can't compromise, but you can't be you know, some kind of a, a rebel of some sort that no one will listen to you. Now that's an overseer. Deacons, verse 8, deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. See, must keep the deep truths. You're going to have to understand the Christian doctrine because we're going to we're looking at Titus, and one of the responsibilities is you're going to have to be able to teach these. You're going to have to know them, but you're also going to have to be able to communicate these. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives, uh, it, it goes through and talks about, uh, well, okay. Okay, then go to Titus, flip over to 2 Timothy, with next chap, and then go to Titus chapter 1, and we'll read chapter 1. We've got something here also uh, about, 
Uh, this is interesting because on, on, a, on a map, Paul, again, I don't know this for sure, but he's, Paul has been to uh, Crete, which is, here's, here's, oh boy, here's Italy, there's the boot, whatever. There's an island out here called Crete. Okay, he's going to go back up here to Rome or whatever. Here's Crete. He's going to come in and sail to Crete and drop off Titus for the church of Crete, and then leave and come back up to Corinth or wherever he's heading, uh, and he's going to leave Titus there. Now, we don't know where he's coming from at this time. I suggest he'd already been in Rome in 57 AD. Excuse me, excuse me. He'd already been in Corinth. Corinth is over here. Boy. He'd gone to Jerusalem, got arrested, came to Rome, and then got released from prison, and then uh, we don't know where he went. But I think he went to Spain like he originally wanted to and spent some time in the West. And this is on his return voyage, stopped at Crete and dropped Titus off. Again, that's speculation, that part about Spain. But nonetheless, he's dropping Titus off to be kind of like an overseer of the church, but it's not supposed to stay there because Titus is, you saw him go to Corinth and solve problems in Corinth. Now he's in Crete solving problems in Crete. And so Titus is kind of like his hired gun. Okay, we got problems on the west front. We got problems on the east. And Titus is just, and Timothy's the same thing. John was doing the same thing with his teachers, sending them over to check on the churches, make sure that people are teaching correctly. But by 85, 90 AD, the church just says, no more. We got this. We'll do it our own. The, the false teachers had taken over. Anyway, here's the same word to Titus, I say around 64 AD. He says, chapter 1, verse 5, the reason, Paul says, I left you, Titus, in Crete, was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished, talking about the church business, and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, a husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must, watch this, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those among the circumcision group. They must be silent. So you've got to appoint people that know the truth so when they hear false teaching, they can shut it down because there's false teachers coming or are in your midst. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole households. Whole households, well, that means churches, because again, there's no church building. We cannot think like the Western church, well, that's a church on this corner, there's a church on that corner. There's elders in every city, so in every city there's a church, but meeting where? In someone's house, maybe the elder's house, someone's house, and it's going to have to be someone that's got a big enough house, and they're meeting in these houses, so again, they're ruining whole households, which would mean whole churches, whole gatherings. By teaching things they ought not to teach. Now, this is exactly what Jude is dealing with, and Paul was dealing with in Corinth, and Peter's dealing with in 2 Peter. And that for, why are they doing, why are they teaching things that ought not to be taught? And that for the sake of dishonest gain. They're only feeding themselves. They're teaching you stuff, but it's only for their own benefit. Even one of their own prophets, now again, he says own prophet, that means a Cretan prophet, 
that would be a Gentile pagan prophet, and you can substitute prophet for poet in there, meaning they're capturing the essence. We would say Bob Dylan is a prophet. Not that he's a prophet of God, but he's a prophet of our culture. Or people that are writing songs or you know, poetry, uh, and they're expressing, you know. but nonetheless, even one of their own prophets has said, and here's a quote, so he's read uh, the lyrics of the song or heard them on the radio or he's you know, read the book or something. He says, one of their own prophets says, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. In other words, Titus, you're converting people out of a society who even Bob Dylan describes his own people as being lazy, liars, and evil brutes, and they're gluttons. Now, you've got to convert them into decent human beings who can function in a church and care and love each other and, and learn the Christian character. And you just can't take someone that's, you know, Bob Dylan and then make him the, the church leader one afternoon. I mean, it's going to take a process because all of a sudden Bob Dylan's a, a pagan prophet. Now Bob Dylan's leading the church. It's like, it's going to look a lot like, well, you know, it's not going to work. Okay. Uh, okay, well, he's talking to them about sound doctrine, a speech that cannot be condemned. Okay, nonetheless, there's that, and those are those verses there. Uh, I'm going to go one more place, First Peter chapter, uh, First Peter chapter five. First uh, Peter five verses one through five, and this is Peter talking about uh, the shepherds or the leaders. He, he's writing to leadership, but he is leaving a clear blank between. You are a shepherd, you are an overseer, but there is a chief. How do you spell chief? Is it I-E? Is that right? Chief? Chief shepherd, or the chief overseer, who is Jesus. So you are nothing more than a, all of our gifts are nothing more than a temporal holding spot for a gift of Christ to manifest to his church, including if you're a shepherd or a teacher or a pastor or appointment, whatever you want to say, the chief overseer the chief shepherd is jesus and he's going to come back and judge you now we live in an age and this is hard to really it's, it's almost like a trap that's why you need to read the word of god that's why you need cain balaam Korah, as examples so Korah rebels against god and god says okay come here smoke them any questions you know balaam misled Balak or, or led Balak to mislead the Jews or Israel in the wilderness and they all died Israel sinned plague struck them Israel attacked Balaam or Balak and killed them you got that how long did it take a couple days where we can have periods of time where you can actually spend almost your entire life in rebellion. You'll see the fruit of rebellion, but people have lived their entire lives in rebellion and died, been buried, and honored by society. And it's like, and they never got hit by a bolt of lightning. The earth never opened up and swallowed them. It's like, what's gonna, it's like okay, not every Peter is going to eventually write, God is patient not wanting anyone to perish. But just because it's like, and you've all done it. I know I have. It's like you sin, you do something wrong, you kind of, God, it's like, they say, go, how, how far, you know, you've all walked on thin ice, you know, you know, at least as a kid, how far out can you go? It's like, it starts to crack a little bit. It's like, I can take one more step. And, the, and you know, either you get scared and come back or you sink in. But just because you can do that in time doesn't mean you're getting away with it. Because you've got your biblical examples of, you know, the flood, of, of Korah, 
of judgment like this. It's like, well, things are different. God doesn't judge anymore. Nothing's changed. He's just waiting. That's the idea here. They're just waiting. And so these people are servants at this time. And be careful because the chief shepherd is coming back. It's like, well, I'll just do what I want to do. Have you checked with the chief shepherd? (laughs) Chief shepherd, who knows? It's like, well, it happened to Korah. It happened to Balak, or Balaam, and Balak too. It's going to eventually happen to you. You're eventually going to stand accountable to the chief shepherd. And that's what Peter's saying right here. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, again, so he's writing to this church, I appeal as a fellow elder. Now, Peter considered himself an elder, and we saw in chapter 21, he was appointed to feed the sheep. And he, by this letter, he's doing that. He's feeding the sheep. As a fellow elder, he didn't say as a superior elder, which is very interesting when you get into your hierarchy. Peter considered himself a a fellow elder along with who he's writing to. Now, he's got special responsibilities, but he's just, I'm on the same basis as you are. And also, something as we go by this, Peter knows he is under Jesus because Jesus told him, feed my sheep, not Peter, feed your sheep. And in Matthew 16 at, at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus told Peter, he says, I will build my church. He didn't say, Peter, I need you to build my church. Big difference. Because if you are a servant, Jesus says, these are my sheep. Jesus says, I will build my church. I need you to feed my sheep. Well, how am I going to build the church? You're not. Jesus says, very clearly, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, how am I going to get this done? You don't need to get it done. You feed the sheep. You take care of your responsibilities. Jesus, they're his sheep. He's the one building the church. But what, where do I, what do I do? It's like, well, what if, what's your gift? What are you called to do? Just do. Well, what about all these other? Jesus is the chief shepherd. Okay, you get that idea right there. You kind of take some pressure off. To the elders among you, I speak as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So Paul's or Peter is fully convinced, I'm on the right track, Jesus is glorified, I also will be glorified as I'm serving him here. In other words, last thing I want is glory from you. It's like, oh, look, the people honor me. It's like, well, are you doing your job or not? That doesn't matter. Are you, are you feeding the sheep? Are you doing, because I'm going to share in this glory. I don't need any of this glory. It's like, oh, look, I've got this, I've got that. It's like, but do you have the glory from Jesus Christ? Peter's looking at this glory. Which, again, and again, you can have both in a sense. You can be honored by men and honored by God also. But you can be honored by men and totally rejected by God at the same time. Uh, he says, uh, suffering and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Then he says to them, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. In other words, you are going to be shepherds, guides. You're going to protect the, from the wolves. You're going to have to take care of them. In fact, right here, uh, taking care of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, and part of that responsibility is having a hold of the sound doctrines and be able to communicate and feed the sheep. Not because you must, not because it's your career, 
Not because I have to be an overseer. Well, I have, that's, my, I'm, that's my only option. I can't get any other job. They're not hiring down at McDonald's. I'll, I'll be an overseer. It's like, no, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Meaning that just right there, that whole idea, I, I, have, to, I have to do this. It's like, no, it should be willing. And again, not greedy for money. That comes up every time from Ezekiel through Jude to here. It's like, why are you here? Because whenever you get people in a group, guess what they've got? They've got authority. They've got power, especially as a group, and they've got money. They've got some kind of resources. I mean, they're surviving. And so once you get people together, there's money there. There's money to be had here. If I could just somehow come up with a building project, something for the church, for the people, or, you know, whatever. You can fill the blank in. Uh, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted. So there's a place like Moses was a leader, but he wasn't the Lord. He wasn't lording over them. So there's a, pl- there's a fine line. You've got to have clear direction to be able to take a stand like Moses did, but you also are there to serve the people. So it, it's, you know, it's, there's tension there. And being an example to the flock, and when, and when the chief shepherd, the chief poyman, appears, there's would be your appearing in the sky, that's your eschatological reference, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So for being a, a good shepherd, good servant, when he appears, there's going to be rewards. And then goes on and talks more about that. Okay, with that being said, we come now to the issue in Jude, coming back to it. It's already described these people as shepherds who feed only themselves, so they are selfish and selfish. They feed only themselves. It describes them as rocks along the shore, and so when people are coming into the shore, they're hidden rocks or hidden reefs, they're going to actually crash their ship. They're going to destroy. They are actually in the process of destroying people of faith. They're, they're, they're selfish people of faith that are trying to work around them. They're going to be crashed into the rocks and shipwreck their faith. Uh, I'm going to go to page, what page on my notes am I going to here? My goodness. Uh, page three. Yeah, page three. We're going to go back to page five or six, but page three. There's the list of all the words, the reference, all the, in these two verses, 12 and 13, all the ways we saw Paul describe elders, overseers, pastors uh, in a positive sense. Middle of page three, they are at your love feast, meaning they're gathering with you at your festivals. And that, that was very common in that, that culture. Most of the time they'd be in the evenings and they'd turn into wild parties. The church <coughs> tended to have them during the day to separate from the nighttime parties. But these guys would be at the love feast. In Corinth, those parties were turning into drunken feasts just like they were at, at the pagan houses. I mean, it's like they came out of the pagan culture and right over here to the church culture and boom, it was exactly the same thing. And that's where they're getting chewed out by Paul. The, the, the church that were on track would separate and have their feast, their, their gathering, during the day and kind of say, this is not a party, this is a celebration of our unity, some kind of a meal, and then the Lord's Supper. These guys have shown up at your parties, your love feasts. 
They are hidden reefs. Uh, they feast without fear. So there's, there's, they have, there's no shame. They know they can get away with anything. If they say it, people are going to follow them. Paul was having trouble with the false apostles in Corinth. They'd come in and they'd say ridiculous things, even denying the resurrection, rejecting Paul. Variety, and, and, and no one balked it. They just followed him. So they come in and without fear. It's like, we'll just do what we want, and the church isn't going to call us on it. That's why Titus was sent to Crete. You're going to start, calling, you're going to, you're going to start identifying these people. You're going to start calling, that's not right. That's not what we're going to do. You need to leave. It's like, whoa, that's not very Christ-like. The problem with Paul's churches in Corinth, Jude writing these people is, well, we start off the book of Jude. It's time to start contending for the faith. You're not contending. You're just, you're just putting up with it. It's time to start saying, no, no, you're wrong. Well, yeah, but that's not very Christ-like. I mean, who turned the tables over in the, in the temple? I mean, it's like, Christ-like is you're going to have to flip tables. Sometime you've got to start flipping tables. It's like, well, well, you better know what you're doing before you start flipping tables because you just can't be mad. You're going to have to, but you're going to have to kick someone out. You're going to have to call someone out here. Jude is, Jude is, I mean, he's got a whole list here. They feast without fear. They know no one's going to come over and flip their table over. You should be in a community there where it's like if someone gets out of line, someone's coming to flip the tables. It's like, well, it's no different than a classroom at school. You understand? I mean, there's no different than a classroom. It's like the kids know no one's going to come flip the tables over. It's like, well, they'll just keep pushing until someone starts flipping tables. I flipped some tables. Not literally, but figuratively. And fear set back in. Okay, <clears throat> and they're shepherds feeding themselves. They're shepherds, they're poymen, but they're only taking care of themselves. They're not here for you. They're, they're using you, they're abusing you, they're eating the sheep. Are you going to do something about it? We don't want to be confrontational. Okay, and then he goes into four images. E through H, waterless clouds, fruitless trees, wild waves of the sea, and wandering stars. And that is our material for today. We're going to go over to... Uh, page six, the four descriptors. And uh, the first one, and I've got the verse in the Greek up there a little bit higher that you can see with the things squared and circled. Clouds without rain. And the idea here is they are, is that the first one? Yeah, clouds without rain. Uh, <coughs> the idea here is the clouds bring rain and that produces growth. It produces productivity. There's hope. There's, there's anticipation, especially in this culture, dry fields, the dry culture, the summer times, rain was a big deal. And they needed the rain for the, the harvest to come in. Well, this cloud, there's clouds. They're definitely a cloud. They're definitely leadership. They're definitely in the position. They blow over. And when a cloud blows in, it blocks the sun. So the sun's being blocked. It's like, oh, it, it, it's, it's cooled down, the sun's blocked, but we're going to get some rain. But then it just moves right on by and without rain. In other words, it, it, produce, it, it provides you with anticipation, hope, but it's a zero. And I'm not sure if you've ever been around this at all. I know I have. Uh, you've been around, and it's like great presentation. There, there's maybe even a smoke or a fog machine. There's cool music. It's like the light show. And then the presenter, it's like, it's, a, it's maybe even a great, maybe it's even funny. Maybe I was even laughing. Was, that was fun. That, I, that went fast. Right, but did you, did you, were you fed spiritually? No, but I'll be back next week. That was awesome. I'm going to bring my friends. 
And pretty soon, you've got a bunch of pagans in the church enjoying the show because, man, this reminds me of a late-night talk show. It's awesome. It's like, I didn't even feel convicted. It's like, or what, you know, I'm talking about. And that's just, I just made all that up. But you've probably seen something like it. I really did. I mean, I'm not even thinking of anything in particular. I'll tell you about a conversation me and Tony heard at a hotel yesterday at breakfast. There's a church conference at the hotel also a bunch of cross-country kids staying, but we happen to sit across from it. They start talking about church. They're like, oh, I'm talking about church. Like, also, like, oh, this would be a great sermon illustration. <laughs> it's like, I'll talk about that. But nonetheless, uh, <coughs> it was a whole group. It was like, it was everything you talk about not being. It's like, holy smokes. And they're like talking like proud. It's like unbelievable. It's like, it's like we better, we better, like, uh, okay. I, got, I was going to get into church history, but I, I got to keep moving. Okay, okay. Uh, but anyway, there are clouds without rain. And watch this right here. It says, and it's clouds without water. So the, the phrase in, the, in, the, in your English Bible, clouds without water, blown by winds, be, or being winds, or excuse me, by winds being carried about. So they're moving the clouds without rain, but they're being moved by the wind. Now, again, most commentators, like I would say all the commentators that I read just, just missed this part, right? They, and, not that, and that bothered me because when I see the word wind, it's like, oh, that's my go-to verse. And no one, I wanted someone to jump on that. And they, so, I mean, so I'm, I'm going to show you something the commentators didn't. And I'm not saying that because, aren't you glad you're here with me? I'm saying, be careful, you're here with me. Instead of <laughs> the, it's like, this is where you may be getting on that thin ice. But they're, they're clouds, they look like something, but they have zero rain, they cause no growth, but they're blown in and moved out by the wind. Now watch this. I mean, for me, it's like, and I've got it typed up here, so we don't have to flip any more verses. Bottom of page six. <coughs> this is Paul. If you went through Ephesians, you know this verse. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 14. And he, Jesus, gave some to be apostles. These are those five gifts I was talking about. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds in the English Standard Version, which is poimen, which is pastors, and teachers. Notice pastors and teachers are two different things. There's pastors and then there's teachers. Pastors can teach, but teachers can teach without being pastors. It, it, they're two different things. Nonetheless, he gave these five gifts. Why? To equip the saints. For the work of the ministry. So many things I've taught this many times. They're, these are equipping, empowering the saints because who's going to do the work of the ministry? Well, the pastor. We hired one. It's like, no, the pastor's to equip the sheep because the sheep have the gifts. The power is with the people. Just like the money's with the people, the spiritual gifts are with the people. You know, instead of trying to find the people to get the money from the people, find the people and enlighten them and let the power of God go. I mean, it's a, reverse it. Uh, do the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain unity of the faith. <clears throat> this is what I've talked about when I went through Ephesians. Because <clears throat> you talk about unity, it's so stupid today. It's so stupid. Christ, the Creator, the Savior, the Lord, the Judge of all. We are all down here, we are all diverse. You can, how diverse you want to make these. You want different colors, you want different numbers, you want different shapes. We're all different. But all of a sudden, in Christ, we all become unified. In other words, we've all got to come over here and join my culture. No, 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 no. My culture has nothing to do with it. Neither does your culture. You, your culture is not even on the, it doesn't matter. We don't care. 
That's the one thing they were talking about yesterday. The guy sat at the table sitting right over here, and they were talking. One was a guru. He was one of the speakers at the conference. <coughs> and the other guy was a little puppy dog that wanted to be like, yeah, I want to be a guy. I want to someday be a guru like you. You just tell by the way they were talking. One guy was talking like real slow, methodical over here. And this guy was like, yes, I agree with that. Yes, I've seen that. Yes. It's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> just, it's just, you're not going to get the job. <laughs> I, just, I, was just, I was just eating my eggs. And, they, and, I, look at the, and, and I, look, I was listening to it. And finally, I looked up at Tony, and she goes, <laughs> kinda, I didn't know if she was listening to it, because I, was like, I wasn't talking to Tony. I, so usually, I try to be polite, you know, but I'm just sitting there like, shh, don't say anything. I, I try to act like I'm not interested, you know, but I was like, but he says, he says, it takes a long time to change a culture. He says, you can go some places, and they're the same as they were 250 years ago. I'm thinking Northwest Iowa, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, for example. You know, it's like they have, because, you, you know, you, it's like, well, yeah, because everybody comes from a culture. And you have traditions, you have a lifestyle, you had parents, you had grandparents, and you have values in that culture. And cultures come and go. Cultures were created by God at the Tower of Babel to keep people divided. You understand that? It's like God created division to keep you from uniting with Satan against him, because every time Satan tries to bring you together, you're going to have everybody from this diverse culture, and you're going to have this government that's trying to bring this diverse culture to override your country, and pretty soon they're outside your, your White House beating on the gates, saying things to the guy that's trying to bring everybody in here and cause diversion, and pretty soon the diversion comes back at you. It's like, if you don't understand what I'm saying, that was yesterday. But <coughs> that, the, 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 you can't have that, that unity. So anyways, if they were talking, he says it takes... 200, 250 years to change a culture. It's like, why are you a church trying to change culture? It's like, and I think they had a culture in mind, or a brand new culture over here. We call it the postmodern progressive culture. See, I, I, if you're trying to lead me to the progressive postmodern, I'm going to be a very difficult client. He, he's not cooperating. We're going to have to threaten jail time or something to get me to go over here. Okay, because they want everybody over here or everybody in this, whatever it was. But the variety of things were being said. And then that's, that just happened to fit. But our unity comes from the fact that I'm going, I'm growing towards Christ. You're growing towards Christ. We're all, and our unity is only, we're unified in Christ. And every day as we grow in Christ, we're getting more and more and more unified. And if you're down here fighting for your culture, you're stupid. You've completely missed the spiritual agenda. You have a culture, I have a culture, and you don't even need to change your culture unless it's corrupt. But you can grow spiritually in Christ, and we're changing, being transformed into Christ, and we're finding, I can be over in this culture, you can be in this culture, but over here, we're all in Christ, growing more and more like Christ. And when Christ, the chief shepherd, comes back, he'll set up a kingdom. That's another whole story, now you're into eschatology. <clears throat> but that's what Paul is saying. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, have been put here, I'm in Ephesians chapter, oh, wait, I'm on my notes. Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, pastors, teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, 
So we're, our unity of the faith is we're growing in this knowledge. If you don't have knowledge, you don't have faith, you just have a, a fairy tale belief. But as you grow in knowledge, your faith becomes more and more in line with Christ, and you're going to become more and more unified with other believers. That's what the gifts are for. Until we become uni- find unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, meaning you will get to the place where you have the fullness of Christ living in you. On this side of eternity or on the other, that's where you're headed. That is what the body of Christ is. He's building his church, and we're going to become like Christ. You know, sometimes it's on this side of eternity, but definitely going to be finished on the other side. So that we may no longer be children, little lambs. And what happens to a child? A child in the faith. It says right here, we will no longer be children. And what's wrong with that? Because when you're children, you're tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So the winds, the the waves, the waves and the winds are the culture, the world, the standards that move the, the the, the child that doesn't know the truth. They're going to come in with this cultural idea. Or over here, this is going to move. It's unstable. And now the church is going this way. Now the church is going this way. It's like, now we're going to try to unify here. It's like, the, and then all of a sudden, the philosophy changes. We were very progressive. Now we're very transgender. Wait, transgender is no longer vogue. We're going back over here. It's like, what, 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 we're, we're singing hymns. No, we're singing contemporary music. No, we're getting tired of singing the same songs over and over again. One line, one verse. Like, we're going to come back over. It's like, what are we doing? The way you're, be, you're being moved by the wind of waves. When you mature in Christ and you're unifying in Christ, this is the waves that you're coming out of the confusion and you're growing in Christ and you stabilize. As you go. And that is what's taking place right here. And that's what I think when it talks about this. They're clouds. These are teachers that blow in like clouds, block the sun, but when they blow on by, the wind and the waves move on, they left nothing behind. What's the wind and the waves? It's movements of culture moving these teachers. What is going to sell this year in the church? Church conferences are built on this. What do we need to do to make this help your church grow? We, we polled the community. We found out what the community wants. What does the community want? They want to go over here. Well, let's go over there and build a church. Okay, well, people are starting to leave our church. Where they go? There's a new guy on the other side of town. He's got, he's got a, a roller coaster in his church. Oh, it's now it's going to have to be advanced. So they, everybody, it's like, where are they going? It's like... They're the winds away. Or the doctrines. There's a time where you, would, you could not be promoting transgender in church. People would leave your church. Well, the culture changed. The wind direction changed. Now you've got to be, you've got to have a rainbow flag like their t-shirts had at the hotel I saw yesterday. And it's like, so it's like, and if you don't have a, a rainbow t-shirt with, you know, oh, okay. And, but that's going to last. How long is that going to last? It's going to last until, I don't know, Islam takes over the church, and then that's out, and then we're going to have, you know, carpet prayer rugs or something in church, whatever. Okay, they're clouds without water, and the idea here is the winds are moving them about. Uh, p- page 7, uh, Proverbs 25, verse 14. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of gifts he does not have. So that's right out of Proverbs. Point 2, the second thing they're like are autumn trees. It says, autumn trees without fruit, twice having died, having been uprooted. So the phrase autumn trees simply means they're trees in the fall. They're fall trees, autumn trees, meaning what should an autumn tree have? The autumn tree should have fruit. 
but these are trees in this season. We're not just about some kind of a tree. We're talking about trees in a season, seasonal trees. This is a, a tree in the fall, but this tree is fruitless. We're going to find out why it's fruitless, ultimately, because fruitless, because it's twice dead. It's died two times. And how do we know it? Why hasn't it produced fruit all summer? Because if you had looked at it, it's laying down. It's uprooted. That's supposed to be a tree laying down, okay? It's uprooted. This spring, when we started looking and taking care of our crops, if you would paid attention, that tree is not even in the ground. It's twice dead, so it's fruitless when it comes time for harvest. So these people are leaders, are teachers, are, are some kind of uh, oversight in the church, and it's, it's harvest time. You should see a harvest. They're in the, if it's their season of life, if it's the season of the culture. But anyway, this tree is a tree that's mature enough to have fruit. Why doesn't it have fruit? It's twice dead. Why is it twice dead? It's been uprooted. Who does the uprooting? This is God. This is God's judgment on the tree. Now, you understand, this tree has been uprooted, but it's still alive and functioning in this group of people. God has judged, and it's, now it's going to eventually be seen, manifested, but it's twice dead. Now, this, what does it mean, twice dead? Now, that's, some, you know, that's a question. It's like, that. even if I give you an answer, you should still say, are you sure? Here are some answers on that. Twice dead, I think, and the reason it's uprooted, I think it, it kind of goes this way. It's uprooted because it's twice dead, which means it's fruitless when it's time to look at it. This guy should have some fruit in his life. Well, God has uprooted it. Why? Because it's dead twice. Dead twice would mean this. Uh, Ephesians 2.1, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. We were born dead. We were born spiritually separated from Christ, now, in life, we are offered Christ. You can be born again. You hear the gospel. You're offered the opportunity. Apparently, this person has heard the gospel. They're in the church. They've heard some form of it, especially since Jude is still writing to the church. I mean, they're not completely void of information because Jude and Paul and Peter are still involved in these churches. So this person has heard the gospel and has, in his heart, rejected it. Now, in our culture, he maybe went forward. He maybe said the sinner's prayer. He maybe got baptized. He maybe signed up for membership. He maybe volunteered in the nursery. It's like, oh, this guy got saved. He got baptized. He signed the membership card. He's tithing and, 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 and in the nursery, whatever. It's like, but did he just do those rituals? And, or whatever the culture was at that time. Obviously, he said, well, I don't. I don't want to believe in Jesus, and I don't really want to be baptized. It really creeps me out eating this Lord's Supper thing, so I just want to stand over here. It's kind of like, you don't look like you're a Christian. So he obviously had gotten baptized. He obviously partook of the Lord's meal. He obviously said the right things. In fact, he worked in place, to a place of leadership, but he has not accepted Christ. He has rejected Christ. So he was born dead, and twice dead, you've rejected life. And so, well... Now, God can, I can't judge this. I, I don't know. I, there can be people out here that are the most evil person in the world. I say, well, that guy's going to hell. And then something changes. God reaches him, and he gets saved, and he, he's a child of God. I can't judge that. But God can. And you might be 10, 20, 40, 80, and God says, okay, that's it. You're done. You're uprooted. In other words, you're, no, so he died? <laughs> no. 
No, he's, he's, he's the living dead. I mean, that's, he's, he's no, he, he, is, he has hardened his heart. He's not coming back, but God is going to leave him, live his life out, and use him however he wants. Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then what happens? Bam, he died of a heart attack right there. Oh, no, 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 no. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God says, no, no, you got six more plagues. Now I'm going to harden your heart, and I'm going to make you an example for all of history. Do I, do I get to die? Oh, no, <laughs> not yet. You got to live through the next six plagues, watch your son die, and chase Israel into the, and destroy your entire military and be the laughingstock of Egypt. You wish you could die. But now you're going to be uprooted, twice dead, and it's, it's that, that's that's what they're being said right there. These guys are, it's, it's harvest season for them. You should be able to see fruit, but you don't. Why don't you see fruit? They're twice dead. They were born in sin. They rejected salvation. They're twice dead. In fact, they're so far gone, it's hopeless. God has uprooted them. Don't eat. And again, you can't make this call, but the idea there would be don't even waste your time sharing the gospel with them because they can't get saved. Again, I say, who knows that? God knows that. But Jude is saying these people, Jude knows, these people are uprooted. Well, maybe if I shared the gospel with they're dead. They can't, they're disconnected from life. They cannot even hear the gospel. That's, again, one way of understanding that. Um, the other thing would be, oh, another option would be the first is physical death. The second is eternal death. That's kind of hard to understand because they haven't experienced either one of those because they're still physically alive and eternal death hasn't taken place. Wild waves of the sea. They're wild waves of the sea. And you've got to understand the sea with this right here. Uh, very quickly, the sea is the place where all the waters drain. So they bring, we, we think of the ocean as beautiful and stuff, but in the ancient mind, the, the ocean was chaos. It, it, it was unstable. You, you couldn't trust it. Uh, and we know that it, all the filth of the earth uh, goes into the ocean. And then the ocean is chaos, and you may be out there in a ship, and a storm breaks out, and your ship gets battered to pieces, and all the filth is in the ocean. All the destruction is in the ocean. So the ocean itself is chaotic, and it's all just covered up in the waves, and the waves start splashing against the shore. Uh, eventually, all signs of this chaos, broken ships, you've seen it, thing, just wash up on the shore. Dead animal bodies, just wash up on the shore. The, the filth, all the stuff, the pollutant, you know, the plastic bottles wash up on the shore. And so along here, these people are foaming waves, they're the way, all the filth has gone into this, and they're just foaming it up out. You can see the, their lifestyle. I'll read it again here. They're wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their shame. In other words, you should be, and you have been, done something, said something, and you're, you're ashamed. You make sure, I don't want anyone to see this. Like if this was, you know, a dead fish or a, a, a car I crashed or something, and I wouldn't park my crashed car in the in front of my house, I'd be like, oh, get that. Let's, let's get in the garage for the people who get it for Bible study or whatever. They're, they're, just, they're just foaming this filth up. Once again, no one's calling them on it. It's, it's, it says very clearly, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their shame. They're just throwing up there. You just walk down the beach. Even if, it's, even if the, sh the sea is calm, you can still walk down the beach. It's a beautiful day, and there's a dead fish. There's some broken cargo or whatever. There's a plastic bottle. All the trash is up there. And they're just like, they just keep pushing it up there, and you just got to keep looking at it, and no one's going to call them on it. It's like Jude's calling them on it. Wild ways of the sea. And the last one, they are wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. Wandering stars is two words, asters and planetia. 
And again, you can see that down here in the box. Finally, we've we got a Greek box right here. Three and four. This is number four. You can see it in the circle for number four. The word aster, which we get the word aster or Isis, even the word Esther, it's the goddess, the star goddess, female goddess. But it, the word means star, and planetia means wandering. It means lost, the wanderer. So these stars are, they're stars, but they're wandering. We'll just say lost, lost stars, they're wandering stars. Probably better, wandering's probably better. They're, they're not following not following orbit. Now, this, again, you, you'll understand this, and you probably do already, but stars, by design, the way God created them, the, everything's rotating in sequence. Stars are not running into each other. It's not like a collision. They're just moving. Everything's rotating in orbit. You can watch the rotation of, of the solar system. But there are some things. There's two. One, we take this word planetia and we get our word planet from it. Because planets are wandering stars. It's like all the stars. Wait, here comes this one. It's not, it's not following the order. They're like, that's why they try to use it. What's, it's trying to tell us something. So these are wandering stars because they're not following the orbit. These teachers are not following the orbit. Probably a better one would be uh, a meteor. These would be a shooting star. Because a shooting star, planets, you can see them. You can track them. They're, they're there at different times. You know, they've just got a different rotation. They're not following the orbit of the stars. A meteor appears. There it is. And shoots across the sky. And it's gone. Into darkness, you'll never see it again. Now, we know that they, they're also in some kind of rotation in our world. We know, ah, oh, it'll come back another 400 years or something. But in their world, once that shot, you know, Mars would be there. Venus would be there. Just a you know, different rotation. But a shooting star, and it's gone, and it heads to outer darkness, and what that is talking about, the judgment, these teachers, they may be alive, they're uprooted trees, they're still functioning, but they're going to come through, and they're going to go into outer darkness, same place the angels went, in fact, I've got it written down here, um, up on page 8, yeah, Enoch, chapter 18, of the book of Enoch, which has already been referred to, and the very next verse, verse 14, quotes Enoch, first Enoch. So the book of Enoch has been referred to. It's going to be quoted in the next verse. And the book of Enoch talks about stars that have rebelled, being angels, that have been sent into outer darkness and locked up, bound together, waiting for judgment. So this is a pretty clear, this darkness is a pretty safe reference. We could go back to Ezekiel and see him talk about shepherds feeding themselves. Now you can go to Enoch, because Enoch's been referred to. It's in the next verse, and this is talking about it also here. But there, the idea that they're going to be, uh, well, I'll read it right here. They are wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. So they may be among you today, but listen, they have no hope. They're uprooted. There's no way of reaching them. Their destination is the same destination of a wandering star. They're going straight into darkness. Stop listening to them. Like, yeah, but they are damned. In fact, right here, I got five things written down, six things, and I'm done. These heretics or false teachers are, one, dangerous like hidden rocks or reefs under the shore that can sink a ship. Two, selfish as twisted shepherds who do not feed the sheep, but instead eat the sheep. 
They are useless and unproductive as clouds that block the sun but produce no rain for growth because they're following society, cultural trends. Four, they are fruitless and dead as a tree in the fall that has been left uprooted all summer. Why has it got no fruit in the tree? If you looked in the spring, you'd see it's not even in the ground. It's uprooted, twice dead, thus no fruit. How'd that happen? It's not in the ground. You could have seen that in April. Uh, and five, filthy as foaming waves of the sea, hurling their trash along the shoreline, not even ashamed of it because like, don't even know the difference. And the church should be ready to contend, say, that's filth. It's like, say, well, we don't want to be turning tables over. It's like, they're throwing filth up on your shore and you're like, well, you know, we don't want to be judgmental. Jude wants to be judgmental. And six, right here, the shooting star, they're damned to eternal darkness like a shooting star lost in the night sky. They're gone. I don't have time, but Second Peter chapter 2, verses 17 through 22 says virtually the same thing, which is fun to read right now because just slight variations, a little bit of different illustrations, but same thing. Peter's saying it also. I'll pray, and we're done. I appreciate you being here. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we would be able to judge ourselves, that we would be growing in Christ, that we would be growing in unity with others who are growing towards Christ. We ask that we would hear your word, but also we would live your word and not be those that are foaming up the shame of our culture through our own lives, but instead be standing and growing true to Christ and exposing the deeds of darkness by our very lifestyles. Because of what your spirit is doing in our lives, these things are possible. And because of your word, we ask that we would follow it and obey your decrees. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.